Coming up on the Women's Australian Rolls Football Podcast, we preview the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Grand Final with Hawthorne's Sarah Perkins and Geelong's Hayley Trevine. Plus, there's an independent point of view with our very own Katie Lambeski. We talk about the Crosscoders camp and the 11 Irish women that will be coming to Melbourne with AFL Island Women's Michael Curran. Plus, we review the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division Grand Final with Lauren Hodson. That's all coming up over the next 70 minutes. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. A friendly note that this podcast airs first as a radio program on RSN Carnival, that's digital radio in Melbourne, Wednesday evening, 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. And of course, it's available on Thursdays as a podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. Don't forget this Sunday, 23rd of September from 11am, we present the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Grand Final. We'll have a one and a half hour pre-game show then all the play-by-play action from 12.30pm. So join us this Sunday morning for the live call of Hawthorne versus Geelong live from Etihad Stadium. So since we're talking about the grand final, let's talk to the women that will be playing in the grand final. First of all, we've got on the line a woman that was recruited out of the Eastern Devils to the AFLW by the Adelaide Crows. She played in their inaugural premiership in 2017. In 2018, she came back to Melbourne for the winter. She signed up with a club that she'd followed all her life, Hawthorne, and she'll be running out as their full forward in the grand final. It's great to have on the line Sarah Perkins. Now, Sarah, a quick question. Is it fair to say that those that knew you before AFLW call you Perko and those that know you through AFLW call you Tex? Um, yeah, I guess it depends where we are. If we're in, if we're in Melbourne, I'm still Perco, and uh, over in Adelaide, I'm Tex. So, no, I get both, and, yeah, don't mind either. How are you feeling heading into grand final day this Sunday with Hawthorne in the VFLW? Are the nerves probably a little settled than most, considering you've been there and done that with the Crows at AFLW level? Um, oh, yes and no, I guess. You know, you get nerv- a little bit nervous before every game, but... No, I'm super excited and it's a great opportunity to be at the Hawks. Um, obviously, first of all, with this great bunch of girls we've got, and yeah, going into the first grand final for, for the club, which is awesome in their first year. And before we uh, touch on uh, the Hawks in detail and, and the great season that you've had so far, making it through to the big dance, let's skip back a moment. We're talking, what, six, seven years ago that you joined the Eastern Devils, originally in their youth girls uh, side. How did that conversation uh, come about? Because I believe you were playing netball and other sports before then, before you changed to footy. Yeah, so I was uh, just playing netball and I was walking around school one day and in between periods, one of my mates stopped me and just said, uh, you know, look, mum told me I have to play a sport and I want to play footy, but I don't want to go alone. Uh, you seem to always get the girls' footy team up and about. Do you want to join me? And um, I obviously said yes and, and went down to the first training and I uh, just loved it and, yeah, continued to play. And indeed, you did for a number of years at the Eastern Devils. Uh, Through that time, you earned uh, Victorian honours in the under-18s twice. And then, if I'm correct, you were were kind of back and forth between the reserves and seniors a bit, weren't you, about three or four years ago before Brendan Major came along as coach? Yeah, that's correct. I I had a good chat to the coaches um, at the start of, I think it was the 2013 season, and and just said, look, I'm I'm not really enjoying my footy. Um, I just want to play for fun. So, um, you know, can I go back and play in the reserves, which... Um, at that point, I'd say probably had a better better culture to be around and, and the team and, and the girls that were in that group were a lot of the older girls who had been playing for sort of 10 to 15 years and uh, they helped me develop my love for footy again. So it was yeah good to get back and, and then, yeah, just floated in and out between the resis and the seniors. 
and you really burst onto the scene in the in the last couple of years of the Devils, including a finals appearance uh, with them uh, going back to the 2016 season. Do you kind of pinch yourself when you look back now? You're playing alongside names like you will be this weekend with, with Meg Hutchins and Lou Watton, but at that time you're also playing along the likes of Jamie Lambert and Hannah Scott. That I guess you know a couple of years ago you're just friends, and now you're all household names. Yeah, I'd like to think we're all still pretty close and we're still friends and we all have that family bond still from the Devils and we all stay in touch and, you know, keep a close eye on those girls, especially throughout the AFLW season, but uh, while they're still playing DFL. But, yeah, I think for a lot of us, it's all just pinching ourselves. So, you know, we're getting that chance to play in um, AFL jumpers, which, you know, I certainly thought uh, probably wouldn't wouldn't be the case for myself. So, yeah, it's just pinch yourself moments every day that, you know, now we're playing in AFL jumpers nearly the whole year round. Can you take us back to last year, the final round of the VFL women's season? Um, obviously, this before a, a number of teams departed the competition. There was a bit of a feeling in the wind for a few months that it could be the Eastern Devils last season. Uh, did you know going into that game that this could be it? Because there seemed to be a bit more emotion, particularly a lot were getting around yourself and Hutchie when you kicked goals in that final game against Geelong. And then, of course, there's that famous photo of you all in a circle in the middle of Mulgrave Reserve. Yeah, well, um, I guess for a lot of the clubs who have who've now parted way, um, you know, for, for the VFL footy, it was, was, yeah, up in the air and we didn't really know what was happening. And um, it was funny, we played Geelong the last two rounds of the season. So uh, we'd lost to them down to Geelong the week before and, uh, you know, stuck with a couple of injuries. And um, I had to get on a plane to fly back from Adelaide two weeks in a row, which really wasn't the case and, and what we wanted to do. So, you know, we went into that game unsure about what our future would be like and if this was the last game that we'd sort of all be playing together. So, yeah, I guess I'm, um, yeah, we hit the scoreboard in the last quarter. I think uh, Lou Watton refers to it as the goal frenzy. So, um, you know, we still talk about that game and, um, yeah, just us all together um, and on around, you know, the middle of Mulgrave Reserve, which became our home for, for many years. It's, yeah, it's still special and um, it'll be something that sticks with us for the rest of our careers. Talking about Lou Watton, you haven't demanded a refund off of her, have you, for her What O Week t-shirt, considering she came back? <laughs> um, no, not yet. I think I'm still chasing up that money. I think a lot of us are. But, um, I mean, you know, we were all pretty shattered when Watto told us that she was going to hang the boots up. And, you know, we gave her the big celebration of the What O Week and... Um, you know, we've we've mentioned it to her a couple of times. We're like, uh, we're not carrying you off anymore. But um, no, it's great. Look, I've looked up to to what a lot of my career, and um, yeah, to have her back and to be playing with her again, it's something really special. So uh, no, but I won't be putting on a shirt again if she does retire. That's for sure. Now we know that during uh, last winter that you obviously spent most of your time staying in Adelaide post the AFLW season, working then at Reese Plumbing and flying over on a couple of occasions to play for the Devils. Uh, what led to the conversation coming about at the end of this AFLW season for you to come back home to Victoria and eventually sign with the Hawthorne Football Club? Um, yeah, it was obviously really tough with uh, the Northern Territory Thunder coming in to the season. And um, I knew that my teammates were obviously going to get the chance to play for the Thunder. And um, it was something that really interested me. But um, I guess it was I missed home and I miss my family and I have a really close bond with my brother and, you know, he's my best mate and he, he just had his first kid and um, I wasn't getting the chance to see him grow up. So I really just wanted to come home and, and be back around family and back around my brother and, you know, my little nephew. I love I love dealing, you know, to see him grow and to see him at my games every weekend. It's really special. So, 
uh, that was the big move for me to be able to come home and, and be with my family. And obviously the Hawks are a big family club and um, they knew, I guess, maybe sense that I wanted to come home. And after a couple of conversations, it was, you know, a big mover in helping me get back home for the for the off season. On the first point on that, how does it feel to be Auntie Sarah? <laughs> um, it's pretty special, I think. And, um, you know, little Oscar's cool and um, he has his little Perco shirts and um, he's been able to run out with me on a couple of occasions. So it's really special. And, um, you know, to see him grow up and, you know, my brother's been massive for me and helping me grow as a person. So um, I know he's pretty lucky to have uh, my brother as a dad. And I think we're a pretty close family. So I'd like to say that he's got a pretty special auntie too. You talk about Hawthorne being the family club. What was it like having that conversation with Paddy Hill about playing on the side and, and how would you fit in? And of course, uh, your role, I guess, as, as part of a leadership group. Yeah, so um, I'm still not too sure how it sort of all came about. It was, you know, Paddy was in the meeting and um, a few other people at Hawthorne and um, just spoke to me about, you know, obviously how gutted they were that they didn't get their AFL licence and, you know, the way that they wanted to move the club and the way that the club was working. And um, I think it was just really special that I could see how elite, you know, the environment was, um, you know, from the coaching perspective, but also as a, the club as a whole and how professional they've been about it. So, you know, obviously being in that Crows environment and the professionalism that the Crows have, it was something that I wanted to come back and make sure that I was still a part of so I could prepare for season three. And I also believe you're working in an off-field capacity as well with the Hawks. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm working with uh, their Next Generation Academy, uh, so developing their female uh, programs at an under-13 level with the Eastern Rangers and the Gippsland Power. So it's been really special that I get to help uh, grow and develop, you know, women's pathways at the Hawks. And, you know, hopefully a few years to come, there's a lot more programs leading into their VFL team. Were you a Hawks supporter growing up? Yeah, so I've I've been a Hawks Hawks member for the past uh, yeah nineteen years of my life, and uh, my dad's a massive Hawks fan. So um, obviously that was extra special to be able to come play for the club that I've followed my whole life and and help them with their women's footy. In that case, any comment on Jeff Kennett's fashion sense? Whether I think he wore the salmon pants at your game last time round, and I think he's bringing up the brown and gold jacket for this <laughs> special grand final day. Um, well, I'm hoping the golden, the brown and gold jacket stays until after the final siren of potentially the boys' game where hopefully we have two wins. But um, I don't mind his fashion sense. I really like his shoes with the with the hawks on it. But no, it's a bit of a letdown on the weekend that he didn't have some pants on. But um, I'm sure he'll bring out something special this weekend. And we know that he's uh, whipping it up on social media to get everyone behind <laughs> the Hawks. Let, let's have a look at that finals campaign. Is it fair to say, we may comment about the Hawks and Geelong as well, that it seemed to be that it wasn't obviously you were relying upon your AFLW talent that's on that Hawthorne list, but it seemed to be what we call the second or third stringers coming through, like Rosie Dillon stepping up on semi-final day, and of course uh, uh, the goals coming from your captain and Emma Mackey. Yeah, I think that's the great thing about the list, um, you know, that they they re-signed about 20 girls from, from Box Hill last year. So those girls all had VFL experience and, you know, the talent coming through like Rosie Dillon and, and Jade Van Dyke and, and our Eastern Rangers girls is just amazing that, you know, they're getting more football and they're getting a chance to develop. So, you know, we you know we might have a few AFLW girls and, you know, that's not going to win us a premiership. It's the team as a whole and the squad that Patty and the, the Hawks have built that's really exciting. So, you know, we've had a couple of girls who have nominated for the draft and, you know, Jade being a rising star, I'm sure uh, more will be, uh, nom- you know, nominate and come out drafted on the other side. Can I throw one name out there that seems to be, um, you know, I don't know why her name hasn't been thrown around in draft talk because she's been a consistent performer for the Hawks this year. It's been Tamara Luke. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, if you have a look at the start of her season, she was clunking everything and 
form might have dropped. I'm not sure if that was pressure or anything, but she started clunking all of their marks again towards the end of the season. And um, I'm just not sure if people are playing it smart because I'd, I'd say that she would be on uh, draft watch for a lot of lot of clubs. I mean, she's a ruckman that sneaks forward and, and kicks a lot of goals. So um, I reckon clubs might be just playing it smart and keeping her on the hush. So it wouldn't surprise me if she comes out in the draft. Because of this grand final not featuring the Darabin Falcons, I think the first grand final in about 13 years that hasn't had Darabin in it, there's actually very few players on, on either side that have actually experienced a premiership. You, of course, did with the Adelaide Crows going back last year. Do you find players turning to you and asking you about the nerves and the build-up as, as you count down to the big day? Um, no, no one has of yet. I mean... Um... I can't. I, yeah, one one game for me isn't really grand final experience, but um, you know, look, it's like I've said to a few people in the offices during the week. It's just it's just a normal game of footy, and um, you know, if you get too excited too early, you've played the game already in your head. So um, you know, we have our, our training this week, and I'll make sure that I get around the girls and just make sure that they're not putting any pressure on themselves, and yeah, just make sure that we're keeping it level head until we get to Etihad on Sunday. You've got some experienced campaigners in your side. We mentioned the names Meg Hutchins and Lou Watton. Of course, you play with the Eastern Devils. You can throw in there as well Phoebe McWilliams, who played with the St Kilda Sharks. They've been uh, denied premiership glory for so, so long in their careers. What do you think it will mean to them if you're to be successful on Sunday? Um, I'm, Look, I, I can only say how much it, you know, an amazing feeling it is to win a premiership, but... Um, for those girls, I'm sure it'll you know, mean a lot more, and you know, hopefully we can come away with the win, uh, the win on the weekend, so that you know those girls can experience it. I mean, it has been a long time. I know Hutchie um, hasn't yeah, played in one in about 16 years, so um, I'll make sure I ask them how it feels if we do get up on the weekend. But um, you know, for them, I know that they're going into it and they'll draw on their 16 years of experience and just play it like it's any other game. And since we mentioned Phoebe McWilliams' name, I also mentioned Julia Crockett-Grills. Those two have actually been signed to play for Geelong in the AFLW for 2019. There hasn't been any friendly banter around it all, just to remind them, hey, you know which side you're supposed to be winning the flag for this Sunday? Um, no, I mean, we, we give Jules and Phoebe's uh, a bit of a bit of banter anyway that, that they're on the Geelong list. But um, I do believe I saw Phoebe tweet earlier on that she has been getting a bit of banter from the Geelong girls. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's all all good. And, you know, there's just a bit of joking on either side. But, you know, I think Jules and Phoebe's are, you know, be happy to say that they've got one job to do before that they get to work with the Cats. And um, hopefully we get that done on, that done on Sunday. Can you give us an insight to how training was last week, obviously heading into a bye, having the week off before coming through to the grand final, courtesy of you beating Collingwood? Um, yeah, so I think uh, Paddy's main message and the coach's main message was is that, you know, we just really wanted to enjoy this finals campaign. And whether that went for, you know, one week or that went for three weeks, uh, we really just wanted to enjoy uh, being in each other's company and um, know that there's probably a chance that this squad might not be together again and, you know, with, with new teams coming in and that sort of stuff. So um, Paddy's main message is that we just really need to enjoy each other's company and enjoy being out on uh, out on the track together. And, you know, we, we've had a, a grueling session on um, Sunday, Sunday, I think it was, um, to just prepare us for the game. But, um, you know, it was all just good fun to be out on the track and um, everyone's spirits obviously being up, knowing that, you know, we get the chance to play in Eddie Had Stadium stadium or marvel stadium now so uh, which is really exciting how do you feel about the challenge being at full forward this week and possibly coming up against either the geelong captain in beck goring or anna teague who of course was a captain with the geelong supercats they've both got 
leadership experience and no doubt will be trying to set the example for their side and obviously they'll be trying to have a good day on you while you'll be trying to deny them. Yeah, look, um, I think I'm, I'd like to say I'm pretty confident that I might get Beck Goring. Um, we've had um, a lot of battles over the year and we're actually uh, quite close mates. So, um, yeah, look, I know it'll be an interesting battle and she's a great leader and, uh, you know, from our game a couple of weeks ago at the end of the season, um, you know, she's a real voice down back for them. So, you know, like you said, hopefully I can hopefully I can get on the scoreboard and, and put them off their game a little bit. But um, I'm sure if I get uh, Beck or if I get Anna, it'll be a good uh, good battle. Hawthorne and Geelong, of course, have had a very storied rivalry in the men's level. Have you felt it at the women's level? Have you felt the supporters get around that and embrace that and hopefully turn out in good numbers this Sunday? Uh, well, I'm hoping we get, you know, close to a full stadium full of brown and gold. Um, you know, like you said, there is a been a amazing battles between the two clubs in the men's division. Um, I can't say that I've felt that so far. In, in the, you know, we've only played one game against each other this year. So um, I know as a Hawthorne supporter, I'm really excited for it because I know that, you know, when Hawthorne plays along, it's always a cracking game. So um, I'm sure we can expect to see that on Sunday. And what are your plans uh, post-season and then heading into the AFLW season in Adelaide? Uh, a little birdie told me you might be heading up to uh, North America in October. Uh, yeah, so I'm heading um, heading over to America for about a month. So um, heading to Canada and then making my way down uh, to New York and uh, Boston, and then um, heading over also to watch uh, the US national tournament that they have uh, once a year. So I'm exciting to watch a little bit of footy, although that wasn't the plan for for the trip. Um, uh, yeah, I'll be getting to watch a little bit of footy and uh, hopefully see some talent um, over there, which I know there's lots of in America and all over the world playing footy at the moment. And, and that should be noted on the weekend of the 13th and 14th in uh, Racine, Wisconsin. And just by luck, while you're over there, the Aussie Sparks are going to be over there being led by a mentor in your Adelaide Crows captain and Chelsea Randall. Yeah, so uh, it's pretty exciting. I think it'll be the first time that Chelsea and I get the chance to, to obviously see each other since the off-season as she's been travelling the world on her well-deserved break. So no, it'll be exciting to see all the girls over there, obviously representing the Aussie Sparks. And then obviously, yeah, the girls, um, whether it's from Canada or America, playing footy. So it'll be interesting. Well, Sarah, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best through your final training sessions and all the best on Sunday when you take on the Geelong Cats at Docklands to decide the VFL Women's Premiership. No worries. Thanks for having me. Now let's talk to a member of the Geelong Cats who'll be looking to knock off the Hawks in the grand final. It's great to have on the line a woman that was originally recruited out of the Bendigo Thunder to Carlton in the AFLW competition. She was delisted there but managed to reboot her career with Geelong in the VFLW and will play for the Cats in the AFLW in 2019. It's great to have on the line Hayley Trevine. Hayley, how are you? Hi, Pete. How are you going? Not too bad at all. I know you're G'd up for this Sunday, but I'm G'd up for this big stat that I've got. We know, of course, that you were used to be an AFLW footballer. You were on Carlton's list in 2017, but are you quite possibly the only woman to play in the AFL women's competition and neither win nor lose a game? Yeah, that's, that's correct. <laughs> you've, uh, you've done your research, Pete. Yes, of course, you played uh, in the last round of 2017, a game against the Brisbane Lions, in which was a draw. How do you feel being a trivia question answer? <laughs> I've uh, never been a trivia answer, so it's a new one for me. I like it. 
<laughs> well, let's step on back to talk about when you began playing football. Now, most commonly you'll be known as being recruited out of Bendigo Thunder, but which came first? Did you sign up first at the Bendigo Thunder or the Etipacoke Ruse in Canada? Yeah, no, so I um, yeah, I started with the Bendigo Thunder. The Etipacoke Ruse was, was after the Bendigo Thunder. Well, what led you to first come to the uh, Bendigo Thunder? Because when we're talking back then, a, a couple of years ago, 2013, 14, 15, etc., the exhibition games were there, but the AFL women's competition at that stage was looking at 2020, far on the horizon. Yeah, so I actually didn't know much about the women's league in Melbourne um, at all, Pete. So uh, it wasn't until a friend uh, was chatting to me about how she was training with some girls in Bendigo for women's football and I um, I asked her a few more questions and decided to head down to training and that all took off from there. I absolutely loved it and it took me back to the school days when I used to kick the footy around, uh, probably mostly with the boys and, yeah, loved training and decided to play and haven't looked back since. And, of course, a number of stars went through the Bendigo Thunder, your original club. We, of course, know Emma Grant, who you played against on the weekend. Of course, you with Collingwood VFLW and played with Collingwood in the AFLW. Uh, Leah French also played at Bendigo and Essendon VFLW. And we talk of uh, the Richmond captain, Jessica Kennedy, who you also played alongside at, at the Thunder. Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually, to think that um, all of us girls have come from the Bendigo Thunder and... Uh, we've all sort of filled it out into the VFL and, and AFL leagues and we've all had some really great opportunities and obviously some of the girls have captained the clubs and it's, it's just fantastic. Now we talk about the ruse in Canada. What led you heading up north? Yeah, so I um, I just headed over to Canada just for something different. Um, just wanted to go on a bit, a bit of an adventure and got over there and realised that there was a AFL league over in Canada, which blew my mind. I didn't even know that they knew about football over there. So um, AFL Canada is un- unbelievable the way they run it. And, yeah, signed up with the with the local team. And, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it, was, it was lots of fun, lots of fun. How did you personally find the standard at, at that stage coming across from State League footy with the Bendigo Thunder to playing football with predominantly, we should say, North Americans because there was rarely um, any Australians in the USAFL or AFL Canada competitions? They, it was actually, um, funnily enough, there were some really, really talented girls out there. Um, like, the skills were a little bit different and obviously they haven't grown up playing football and, and nor had I at that point in time. But, um, yeah, there were some really skillful players and it was a real joy to play with them. And how do you feel that one of them from, from your original club up in Canada, the Roos, uh, Nicola Kerwin, has actually been invited down to the Bulldogs to trial at their cross-coders to possibly get a spot on their list? Yeah, Nicola's a legend. Um, I've actually been talking to her over the last couple of weeks about her coming over to, to Australia. So she's very excited and she has a real passion for football. And she was over here um, when they played the Cup over here last year and, and she dominated. So I'm looking forward to seeing how she goes, actually. So let's flash back to when you came back to Australia, played with the Thunder in 2016, a dominant year. Unfortunately, couldn't cap it off on the big day um, going down to Deer Park in the grand final. But from disappointment for you came excitement after that, uh, being at that stage picked up by Carlton as a uh, free agent. Yeah, I was... I was pretty pretty lucky to get through um, just the end of the free agent there. So, um, 
I, I, I actually was very, very shocked and surprised when I got the call up and, um, yeah, I just did everything I could and, and trained my butt off and, um, yeah, I was really happy to be there. So it was an incredible experience. Besides the unique fact of playing your only game being a draw, what, what are your recollections of being told for the first time you'll be running out for the Blues in that round seven game and for the first time stepping onto the ground as an AFLW footballer? Yeah, I, I couldn't wipe the smile off my face, Pete. I, um, I'd had a few injuries along the way, so unfortunately um, it wasn't until the last game that I got my opportunity to run out there with, with the Blues girls and I, I just felt proud and I just wanted to be part of the team and I just wanted to contribute on the day and um, I, I couldn't wipe the smile off my face. Even even when I was, I think when I was still running out um, into my first contest, I was probably still cheekily having a bit of a smile at the time. Now, at the end of the 2017 season uh, for the AFLW, you were delisted, so you were needing to find a home. How did it end up that you were going to sign with the Cats and the VFLW for that year? Um, I can't exactly remember what happened, um, but I remember speaking to Paul Hood on the phone and uh, he invited me down to the Cattery and... um, yeah, went down and had a look, a little bit of a look at training one day with a friend, and yeah, just loved the vibe and loved the girls and all the all the coaches and the staff there were amazing. So decided that um, this is where I wanted to be for the next VFL season. In which you did play 2017 with the Cats. Um, you weren't picked up in the draft for 2018. So as you entered this season with the knowledge that. You're still wanting to get drafted. There's the excitement that Geelong have been granted an AFLW licence. At the beginning of the year, what kind of conversations did you have back then with Paul Hood about what could you do as a footballer, I guess, to, to get to back at that AFLW level? Yeah, so I obviously knew that I had um, a lot to work on and I knew it was going to be you know, a hard road ahead and I'd have to um, like, obviously be very dedicated with my training and how I went, how I went about it. So I just, I pretty much dropped my, I wouldn't say dropped my whole life, but I, um, I dedicated everything to footy, and um, it, you know, it's been, it's been really tough. Uh, you know, obviously training and doing all the extras, but um, you know, I, I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm so happy to be in this position now, and um, just got to keep working hard and building on, building on the form now. If you were to critique yourself, what do you think that you've improved on personally this year? Um, look, I, I've been trying to work really hard on my fitness. So I've been in the gym um, a lot. And obviously, our, we have great strength conditioning staff here that look after us. So I've been following the program down to a T and, and really been um, trying to work really hard on my fitness just so I can try and get a bit of an edge with all the all the young girls coming through. So I just need to continue to build on that and um, continue to get stronger as well and, and really improve on my skills. So just it's all about uh, doing those extras and continuing to work hard. So we're coming to the end of August. You've just put away the Casey Demons in a game to lock your spot into the top four. So I'm guessing at that stage all you're thinking about is just VFLW finals and how all that's going to pan out. But then the call comes that you've been signed by the Cats for the 2019 AFLW season. 
Do you recall how that conversation came about? Was it a phone call? Were you just called into the room when you were at training? How did you find out the news? Yeah, it was pretty low-key, actually, Pete. I was just out at training out at Deakin, um, and Hoodie just called me into called me into one of the rooms and, and gave me the news. Um, at, at the time, to be honest, I was pretty focused on training, and I knew that, you know, as, as a club and as a team, we had a pretty good opportunity um, looking into the next month and potentially playing finals and what that might look like. And, I knew that I believed in our team and how far we could go. So at the time, I I probably really wasn't thinking about myself too much. I was more so thinking about getting out for training. So I just actually probably brushed off a little bit. So I hope that I hope that I didn't make Hoodie feel too bad at the time. Actually. <laughs> Well, I guess he might be happy in one way that you were actually thinking about team first rather than yourself and he knows that he's got a good quality in you heading into the AFLW season. But you said about focusing on that. The Cats did enter the top four in fourth position. What was this discussion amongst the group knowing that you had the highest mountain to climb if you were to take the flag, having to knock off all three sides? First of all, of course, you've knocked off the NT Thunder and, of course, last week, Collingwood. Yeah, look, over the last couple of weeks, um, we've just shown how good we can actually be, and we just we've just continued to get better and better. And I think each week, looking at obviously the Northern Territory, we knew that we were going to put up a good fight with them, and we knew that I, I shouldn't say we knew that we could beat them, but we definitely knew that um, you know we weren't going to walk away leaving anything out there. So I, I think it's just a credit to to the team and the staff, and they've just invested so much in us, and you know we're just giving back now. And what were the thoughts on that Collingwood game? Um, in the end, you led from start to finish. But when you review the first quarter, do you perhaps look back at it going, geez, we really dominated and maybe we should have tried and put them away a little earlier? We probably didn't um, obviously kick those goals that we would have liked to, but uh, that happens sometimes in footy. And I think we were lucky enough to be able to um, have great tackling pressure. And we just continued to build a, across the next three quarters. and. Um, we started to hit a few goals and that's all we needed to do to hold them off. No doubt you would have sat down and, and looked at the tape about how the Hawks took on the pies on that semi-final weekend. What are probably the biggest lessons that you could take out of that game to possibly handle the Hawks when it comes to Etihad Stadium this Sunday? Yeah, the, the Hawks are a, they're a quality side and they've got some, some really mature and strong players. So. Um, you know, we know we have to play well to beat them and we've done a bit of video review already this week and I've personally watched the game a couple of times so I've been trying to um, look at our opponents and who I'm going to be playing against and how they play and how they use the footy and look, the Hawks use the ball really well and they like to spread and they like to run and carry so um, I think with our tackling pressure and our defensive pressure and, you know, I, I think that... Um, we can turn it on as well. So I think it'll be a really great game. You've obviously got your star AFLW talent like the Matty Boyds and the Rochelle Cranstons, for example. But are you surprised by the output that you've seen from the likes of, first of all, Maddie McMahon with her uh, ruck work and, importantly, around the ground work uh, last week? And obviously uh, a greater output from the likes of Rebecca Pierce in defence and Michelle Federley up forward. Yeah, look, Pete, we have um, so much depth in our team and I think that that's um, why we've come so far. I, like, 
our back line has got so much depth. It's, it's not just one player. It's, it's every player and uh, every player each each game gives 110%. And there's, there are players like Beck Pierce who's just taking intercept marks all day over the weekend. And um, obviously you've got Maddie Boy that can't drop a mark. And then Mads McMahon that can just build her into the ruck. And, but she can... She's great below her knees and she can play anywhere across the ground. So we've just got players that you could almost put anywhere on the day and, and they would just light it up. And what are your thoughts that, uh, obviously, Olivia Purcell, again, tackling machine on the weekend. Nina Morrison was missing due to school commitments, but cross fingers that she'll be back for the grand final, but had a sensational semi-final. What do you think when you look at those two and you think, wow, they could be draft picks, possibly one and two, and be at the Cats at an AFLW level by the ne- by the end of next month. Yeah, we've, we've we've loved the young girls even training with us. They've been training with us for a while now. So we've had Nina live and um, obviously Lucy McAvoy, who's uh, a bit young, so she can't quite get drafted this year. But she's certainly a talent as well. But live on the weekend, you know, lays fourteen tackles and just leads the way for us. So um, she's really vocal around the around the ground as well, and she communicates. Um, really, really good. She's really fit in with the, our team well. And then, obviously, as you said, Nina Morrison, um, she's trained with us tonight and she's just silky. Uh, she's, she's one to watch and she'll definitely uh, go high in the draft and we're looking forward to uh, hopefully having her out with us again on the weekend. If we look to your opponents, Hawthorne, it's, it's safe to say maybe their team gets a little lost in the media in Melbourne because there's... There's nine teams here. But Geelong, you're a one-team town. How did it feel to wake up on a Monday, open up the Geelong Advertiser, and there's a double-page spread on the Geelong Cats VFL women's team? Yeah, so Geelong, Geelong's got a great community feel, and uh, we've got great support down here at Geelong. Uh, I think it's a, sort of a little bit of a country town in a way, and, uh, you know, we've got our pioneer members as well definitely get around us and um, the support from the community has been huge over the last couple of weeks um, and even at the club you know we're united as a team and we're united as a club as well. And is there a little bit of nerves to come with that knowing that when you head on the bus or head on down to Etihad Stadium on Sunday you're going to have a Saturday or Sunday edition of the Geelong Advertiser that's just going to be front page back page wall-to-wall coverage of you and the hopes of a town that you'll come home with a VFLW flag before you make your debut next year in AFLW as a team and as a club? Yeah, like, it, it'd be great. Um, it'd be great if we could win the premiership and it'd be great for the club and the community, but I don't really think... Uh, it's not something that you think about being on, in the paper or or anything like that. We obviously want to do it for one another, but... um. You know, all that sort of stuff will come if we win, um, but we've just got to focus on focus on the on the day and um, just sticking sticking to what we do best and just play good footy. And one final one before we let you go. In your opinion, what is it about your coach Paul Hood to take Geelong last year to you know within a couple of games of making the finals on debut? to this year climbing all the way to the grand final. What is it about Paul Hood to get this side up? Yeah, Hoodie's, Hoodie's an incredible person and he's an incredible coach. I think he builds really good relationships with all the players, which um, 
which definitely helps everyone feel really comfortable to be able to go up and get feedback from him. And I think just the way he approaches training and games and the way he speaks to the group, um, it's just got a really special feeling about it. And he's just so passionate and invested in us that, um, you know, obviously we, we want to play for him and play well. Well, Hayley, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you all the very best this Sunday as you take on the Hawks and the VFLW Grand Final. And also for you personally, all the very best in the 2019 AFLW season. No worries, Pete. Thank you so much for having us. Now, our very own Katie Lambeski will have an independent point of view of the grand final coming up a little later in the program. Next week, 18 women from around the world will descend upon Melbourne to take part in the cross-coders camp in the hope of gaining an AFLW rookie contract. 11 of those 18 women are Irish. And joining us on the line to give us a little bit of an insight into them is the man behind AFL Island Women's it's Michael Curran. Michael, how are you? Hi, Peter. Very good. Thanks for the call. You must be excited and over the moon. 11 of the 18 women invited to the Crosscoders International Rookie Camp in Melbourne with the Western Bulldogs are Irish women. Yeah, Peter, it's absolutely fantastic. We're pinching ourselves here now. Um, it's phenomenal results to have 11 out of 18 positions um, going to Irish girls. And from an overall, uh, there was over 100 applications globally for the whole cross-coders process initially. So to get whittled down to that and to get 11 in the last 18 is, is absolutely amazing result, yeah. Can you give us a breakdown of where the players are from? Because most would think, oh, they're all Gaelic footballers, but they're actually across a, a, a wide variety of sports. Yeah, there's a, there's a bit of a mix. Uh, of course, we have some some Gaelic players in there. Um, we've got Ailish Constein, uh, Gaelic football from Clare. Ashling Sheridan, Gaelic football from Cavan. Ashling Curley, Gaelic football from Kildare. Uh, Ashling McCarthy, Gaelic football from Tipperary. One of the tricky parts is going to be trying to figure out all these Ailishes and Ashlings when we get over there. Um, we also then have Mary Ryan from Camogie from Tipperary. And we have a couple of rugby girls in there as well. We've got Mairead Coyne, who's a, a, an Irish rugby international. Um, and we've got Amanda McGinn, who formerly played with Ulster um, rugby last season. And then we have a couple of uh, younger players. Um, Emer Gallagher is a, a young Gaelic footballer from Donegal. And Fianna Tangney is a young Gaelic footballer from Kerry. So, yeah, there's a bit of a mix between um, Gaelic football, camogie and rugby union. Now, I believe a handful of these players had also had a taste of uh, Aussie rules before in your AFL Ireland uh, Super 7s competition. Yeah, this is unreal. We Actually, three of the girls have played regularly across our season with Ailish Constant at West Clare Waves, Amanda McGinn and Emer Gallagher at North East Cooks. So they're, they're regular players in our own domestic competitions here. And then we've been running taster training sessions across the whole summer and a number of the girls have been down to those. Ashling Curley has been training with the Dublin Demon or Dublin Angels on a regular basis and we've also had Mairead Coyne and Ashling McCarthy out to tasters down in Ennis as well. So six of the girls overall would have played football um, with us at some stage over the last year which is a huge result for us as well and great in trying to create awareness and continue to promote the sport of women's Aussie rules here in Ireland. Uh, for those of the group that actually haven't played Aussie Rules yet, uh, what has been the plan? Have you given them a, a quick run-through of the skills, etc., before they're jumping on the plane and heading over to Melbourne? 
Yeah, exactly. I, I've been, the, the guys in Melbourne, uh, at Cross Colors there, Jason and Lauren and all the gang are doing all the hard work, obviously, on the ground. But I've been liaising with the girls here at home in Ireland and been the kind of Cross Colors point of contact over here. So, obviously, it's it's pretty busy here at the minute in terms of um, finals time in various GA competitions and that. So, the girls are all pretty hectic. But, yeah, there's a few of the girls that... Um, have managed to get their hands on an AFL ball and just um, have a kick around themselves and that. Um, but definitely, we've been just going through kind of um, some of the rules and some of the, the setups and how the game is played and stuff like that just on uh, just on email on on, on chat groups. So it's definitely going to be a, a bit of a crash course. So um, I think we're going to land in Melbourne at, at 6 a.m. Saturday morning, and when when the group has kind of had a bit of a chance to recover and and bed in, we'll probably just go for a very casually kick around and just get the, the girls a bit more familiar with the footy and we'll definitely have two Sharons with us on the plane and if if anyone sees a group of girls throwing a Sharon around the place at Abu Dhabi airport that's more than likely going to be our guys trying to get familiar with, with the odd shaped ball. Well, if we have a look over the last 12 months, of course, beginning originally with Laura Corrigan-Jurea, who, of course, played um, uh, with Melbourne in the AFLW. Then, of course, she was joined by Cora Stoughton last year at uh, GWS. We know that Sarah Rowe is going to be signing with the Collingwood Football Club. Has that really ignited the interest in Aussie rules in Ireland? Because... By the look of it, this cross-coders thing, which was just an idea, what, two months ago, seems to be over the RTE website, the Balls.Islander website. Uh, it seems to have caught on that these women have been invited over to try their hand at playing in a professional competition. Definitely, Peter. Yeah, it's really um, it's really got a bit of attention here now over the last couple of days. There's been a lot of focus on women's sport here. The Ladies Gaelic Finals were on last weekend, and as you've said, there are a couple of the the sports media um, websites and uh, have taken up the story now that the the final list has been published. So yeah, that that's all helped massively. Of course, uh, Laura was the initial pioneer, and um, then Cora followed at GWS, and there's been uh, her documentary actually aired here on Sunday evening. So that um, was the first time that people would have seen that, and that was her full story of how she. Um, ended up in Sydney and how our season went over there and obviously then the the news that Sarah is heading over to Collingwood so all that has been helping and obviously we've been doing a lot here on the ground as well in terms of promotion and, and awareness from a standing start effectively almost exactly 12 months ago so there's a load of contributing factors there but yeah absolutely awareness of uh, women's Aussie rules and of the opportunities for Irish girls and Irish talents to potentially play in Australia now in AFLW has, has never been higher. And like you just said, for women's sport overall in Ireland, it's been fantastic. Obviously, kicking off the start of the year with Cora, but the Irish women's hockey team making the uh, uh, the World Cup final. And then, if I'm correct, was it more than fifty thousand for the ladies Gaelic football final? Yeah, it was. It was uh, just over fifty thousand, which was an all-time record, which is phenomenal. Last year, a new record was set at 47,000, so it, it's been growing year on year, um, which is absolutely fantastic. So the, the All-Ireland Finals, uh, Ladies Finals Day is an absolute great occasion now at this stage, and the numbers are continuing to grow, and they have they have their three finals on the one day, so it's a fantastic occasion in Crow Park in our, in our kind of a in our main stadium, so it's great to see the girls playing there and getting the support that they absolutely deserve. So from this point onwards, can you just give us a bit of a blow-by-blow account of what will be happening uh, for the women to head, obviously, from Ireland now to Melbourne and what will happen once they're in Melbourne for the week for cross-coders? 
Yeah, there, there's a pretty detailed itinerary set out. Um, Jason Hill and Lawrence Bach have been working on that. They're doing tremendous work in Melbourne there. So really, I'm just I'm getting the group as far as Melbourne Airport, and the guys are going to take over from there. But I know there's a, a full range of activities planned um, across the week. Uh, we touched down Saturday. On Sunday, we're hoping to get along to the VFLW final, so we might even see you there. Um, then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are pretty intense. We've got four days of... Um, skills sessions and uh, testing and uh, match simulation and all of that. And I think then at the end of the week is, is kind of hopefully where the business the business end of things will kick in and all the AFLW clubs that are going to come down and have a look at the activities across those four days are going to be talking to the girls and we are really hopeful that we get some of those girls um, offered contracts um, and that would be probably by next Thursday night, next Friday. So it's it's going to be a pretty intense week pretty hectic, uh, loads of activities um, between on-field uh, classroom stuff, and then hopefully we'll get to do a little few bits and pieces with the girls around Melbourne and show them a bit of the, the city and get them to along to see a bit of footy, be it um, the VFL final, as I've mentioned, VFLW final, or some training sessions or whatever. So, yeah, we're going to really just drop them right in it and uh, a full week of intense absorption in, into Aussie rules. And am I hearing rumours correct? Because originally when it started out, it was just going to be the one contract going to the Western Bulldogs. But I have heard rumours that some of the other AFLW clubs are now starting to cast an interested eye over this rookie camp. Yeah, no, that, that's actually, uh, as recently as maybe a week or two weeks ago, um, this is one of the things that, that Jason and the gang have been working on. So uh, originally it was it was really a, a Bulldogs initiative, um, but the whole thing opened up there about a week and a half, two weeks ago. Uh, so the camp now effectively is a full international rookie camp. And as far as I'm aware, pretty much um, nearly all, if not all of the AFLW clubs will be sending people down for the duration of all the on-field activities, which will be over Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So that is absolutely huge. As you say, at the start of the process, it was everybody applying for one guaranteed rookie contract at, at Bulldogs. And uh, Paul Groves has been immense, obviously, in, in promoting that and, and, and offering that. But now, potentially, um, there could be any number of spots on offer, obviously depending on how the girls go and what the clubs see and what who, who they like and, and all of that. But yeah, there's definitely the potential for all of the clubs to be there and uh, for a lot more than one person to be signed up, which would be a huge boost for the program and a huge boost for international women's Aussie rules in general. Yeah, indeed. And I was about to say, let's just say hypothetically, three or even four Irish women got drafted. Uh, you know, four clubs came to the party. What would this mean Personally, for your competition, AFL Ireland Women's, if all of a sudden the numbers of being one or two Irish women in the competition grew to something like five, six or seven Irish women playing in the AFLW. Oh, it would be fantastic. Like It would give another huge boost. As I say, it's been going well as it is. And we've had a few of those uh, elite-level girls get involved uh, throughout our first year. And we've more of them that are interested and that haven't been able to play so far just because of the crossover of the seasons. And that's one of the reasons that we've kind of delayed our own uh, premiership competition out till the winter. But, um, yeah, if, if any number, be it one, two, three, four girls get uh, signed up, that would be absolutely huge. I think it would really open the, the gates in terms of awareness of women's Aussie rules and of, of AFLW. And uh, I definitely would see a lot more interest uh, in playing and in the process going forward from that, which would be huge.
Well, Michael, thank you again for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you a safe flight to Melbourne and fingers crossed for the 11 Irish women, in fact, all 18 women that are coming across for the International Crosscoders Camp. And let's hope as many of them as possible can get an AFLW rookie contract. Yeah, that, uh, that was what I was just going to finish on myself. Uh, Peter was obviously the best look to all the 18 girls. We've got the two American girls, the Canadian, French, Fijian, uh, Welsh, all coming over as well. So it's going to be big for all of the girls. So hopefully they all have a, a cracking week and uh, show themselves in, in their best light. And uh, hopefully there's good news around come the end of next week. Now, over the weekend, two women's grand finals were played at the state league level. First of all, in the Tasmanian State League women's competition, you may recall we spoke to Nicole Bresnahan of Clarence and Nieta Lynch of Glenorchy last week. Well, it turned out to be an absolute thriller and straight kicking got Glenorchy home. 6-1-37, defeating Clarence 5 5 35. With a few minutes to go, the Magpies kicked a goal to put themselves in front and to take home their first ever premiership. Congratulations to Glenorchy on winning the Tasmanian State League women's competition. There was also the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division played over the weekend at Blacktown International Sports Park. And to talk us through it, we've got our regular reporter from Sydney on the line in Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, really well, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. We, of course, are getting ready for the grand final here in Victoria, but you just had yours in New South Wales for the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. It was Macquarie University versus the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs, known formerly as the Stingrays, and the minor, pardon me, the minor premiers got knocked off by the reigning premiers. Yeah, look, they certainly did, and it makes it three in a row for the uh, for this team the, who are now known as the Bulldogs. Um, it might be one of the only tips I got right all season, Peter. And, and whilst it was a fairly close game, there's only 23 points in it, um, I actually thought it was going to be a bit closer. But, um, yeah, look, the the Bulldogs really shone through at the right time. Um, McInney did go, get off to a great start with Laura Russell getting an early goal. But uh, the, the Bulldogs bounced back and um, were uh, two goals, one up at ha- uh, halftime. Sorry, they were two goals, one up at quarter time. And, uh, yeah, look, never really gave the uni, um, you know, a, a, a look in. Um, they uh, they were up by 21 points at halftime and uh, the margin sort of stayed fairly similar for the for the rest of the game. So, I mean, obviously it's disappointing for Mac Uni to, to go through a season and only lose one game. They've made it straight into the grand final. But, um, yeah, being knocked off uh, knocked off by the Bulldogs. And, um, I mean, look, yeah, Bulldogs have had a fantastic year and, um, yeah, definitely finished off strong. And, uh, yeah, I mean, three in a row, Peter. At, uh, I know Darabin won, won a lot, or oh, what was it, six or seven in a row. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, fantastic effort by the Bulldogs to... Um, have such a sustained period of success. Yes, uh, the Falcons had won two sets of five in a row. So um, at the moment, the uh, Bulldogs are three-fifths of the way of uh, trying to equal that. Who knows who can stop them? I guess, first of all, looking for the runners-up at Macquarie University, a, a captain's game from the GWS and Macquarie University captain in the fridge, Amanda Ferugia. Yeah, look, she was probably their their best player, Um which you know we've come to expect from from Fridge. Um, look, played a, a fantastic game um, and was also one of their their goal kickers along with Laura Russell and Liz Fasone. So um, yeah, I mean, look, she's she's had a great season coming back after um, 
AFLW and, and didn't, probably didn't play as many games as Mac Uni would have liked. But um, look, with their form, they they didn't need her. But yeah, look, she she was fantastic. And you know, mentioned Laura Russell before. She's had a great year up forward. Um, and and Pippa Smythe um, winning the the league best and fairest has certainly had a good year. So um, they'll definitely uh, remain a force to be reckoned with next year, Peter. For the Bulldogs, Janjetovic uh, being the uh, best player. And uh, if I'm correct, if I looked at the highlights, I think she was the one that launched an absolute roost uh, late in the game to just try and uh, uh, rub salt into the wounds and make sure that the Bulldogs were going to be running out premiers. Uh, Jacinda Barclay, GWS player, also amongst the best. And a goal for a player that we interviewed last week, a former GWS player, and uh, Beck Privatelli. Yeah, look, um, yeah, I think you're right there about uh, that that massive roost by Jan Genovic, um, and she was also, as I said, named best on ground for the grand final. So she's um, not just had a great grand final, but had a really fantastic year for the Bulldogs, and uh, yeah, um, was as I mentioned amongst the goals uh, for the Bulldogs. Apart from um, McGee, all the uh, all the other goal kickers were individuals for the Bulldogs, so they they got a good spread. And um, as I said, I think that experience um, has really shone through for them. So that concludes the season. How have you rated personally the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division this year? Because if I look at the ladder, it seemed to be, uh, bar Mac Uni, who are out in front of everyone, and then the Bulldogs chasing after them and eventually catching them. For the rest of the table, it seemed to be close to even. And even the bottom few teams had picked up a couple of wins. So the gaps between the best and the worst, in my opinion, seem to be decreasing. Yeah, look, I 100% agree with that, Peter. Um, I think it's probably, whilst there were still some some matches where there, there were big margins, I think it's been the most even competition um, in in AFL Sydney women's or Sydney women's AFL before it came under the... Um, the banner of AFL New South Wales ACT. But, yeah, look, I definitely think it's been the most even competition. Um, Mac Uni were, were obviously up there for, for most of the year, um, but they did have a few close games as well. Um, and, you know, you've seen teams like Southern Power and UTS um, beat sides that they hadn't beaten before. Um, so that's obviously good for, for those sides. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's a, it's a changing landscape. Definitely the um, introduction of youth girls, um, you know, that, that say sort of five, six years ago in Sydney is I think now starting to have an impact. You're now starting to get girls playing or introducing, getting introduced to senior footy who have come through a youth girl system and have been playing for, you know, five or six years. Whereas before um, people would come into senior footy with a lot of them not having played before. So I think you're really starting to see the, um, the development that AFL and clubs have put in really, uh, really shine through and, and I think that's part of the reason why we're getting a more even competition and uh, yeah, the, the all teams are improving. In the end, it's congratulations to the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs Premiers for 2018 in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Lauren, once again, thank you for all the reporting that you've done throughout season 2018 and we look forward to catching up with you next year for another season of AFL Sydney Women's Football. Yeah, look, it's been a pleasure, Peter. Always happy to chat footy. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to catching up in another six months or so. So this weekend on RSN Carnival, Digital Radio in Melbourne, the RSN Racing and Sport app, and via rsn.net.au, we will present the Swiss Wellness VFR Women's Grand Final. We're live on air at 11am with a a one-and-a-half-hour pregame show 
bounced down at 12.30 p.m. between Hawthorne and Geelong. By 2.30 p.m., we'll know who the Premiers are, and then we'll break it all down before we go off air at 3 p.m. It's going to be a massive broadcast, a seven-member commentary team in which six members of our commentary team are women. That's fantastic to know. Matthew Cox will be hosting, but the lead play-by-play caller will be Lucy Watkins. She'll be joined by Sasha Doherty and Lisa Roper on special comments. On stats, we'll have Christy Williams. And on the boundary, we will have Neve Felton and Julia Montesano. It's going to be a huge broadcast. You'll hear at 11 a.m. Sunday on RSN Carnival. One woman which would love to have part of the call, but unfortunately she won't be there. She has commitments with Green Gully, who in a relegation soccer match being played at Amy Park at the same time, is Katie Lambeski. She joined us for the preliminary final coverage over the weekend where the Cats beat the Magpies, and it's great to have Katie on the line. Katie, how are you? I'm very well, Pete. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, hopefully up until the very able... uh very able commentary of Mr. Matthew Cox, but uh, happy to be here. Yes, indeed. We had preliminary final day. You were with us in the commentary position at Stannard Stadium, otherwise known as Northport Oval, for a battle between the minor premiers, Collingwood, and the team that actually finished fourth, the Geelong Cats. And uh, pow, pow, unfortunately for the Magpies, they were out in straight sets. Yeah, I mean, a lot of... A lot of what happens in finals is you time your run to perfection. And I think they ran into a team that had probably run to perfection in Geelong, who are firing on all cylinders at the moment. Um, very team-oriented game style, very hard to break down and beat as both Collingwood and Northern Territory, the top two teams of the competition on the ladder, have have found they've been found very uh, hard to beat. Some, you know, obviously they're, they're the top teams, they finished top four, but yeah, Geelong have just has just come along at a really right time and it sets up an amazing grand final. Having a look at that quarter time score, Katie, um, Geelong 1-5-11 to Collingwood 0. To be honest, that scoreline flattered Collingwood a bit because Geelong were all over them. No doubt. Um, Geelong dominated inside 50s early on, had dominated the general play. Collingwood just didn't get anything going and I think that was the story of the whole game. Um, perhaps if Geelong had converted in a in a more accurate way or had created sharper chances, then it would have been over by then. And but it wasn't. Um, still, Geelong they would have just really be solid and managed to grind the pies down. Indeed, if we have a look at the um, score for the remainder of the match, it was uh, one goal apiece in that second term. Uh, they kicked away with two goals to nothing in the third quarter. And by the final quarter, sure, Geelong only kicked one goal three to Collingwood's three four. But as we said in the final uh, quarter, it was all over by the shouting. Yeah, I mean, the third quarter is the premiership quarter for a reason. Um, Geelong managed to lift their game. Very similar to the Northern Territory game the week earlier, to be honest. Geelong just managed to find a gear at a really right time of the game and managed to put it to bed. I, I think we called it a three-quarter time that it was over, that Geelong had got it done. And yeah, they went on to hold off inside despite uh, Collingwood kicking a few uh, goals late on. Let's have a look at those better players for the Cats on the day. And one name that stands out in the forward line is Matty B-O-Y-D Boyd. Uh, of course, he played for the GWS Giants last year. Um, will play for Geelong AFLW next year in 2019. This is her second year on the Geelong VFLW list. 
and it was the big trustworthy hands, wasn't it, in the forward line. It stuck like glue to the footy every time. Absolutely. Um, really impressed by her game. You could easily, very easily make a case for her being best of the field. Um, obviously named in the best, but yeah, outstanding. Just She's a real coming-of-age type of player. I know she had played most of her footy at North Geelong, and I know a few clubs back then in the old VWFL were keen on her, but she managed to find her way back to Geelong, and it's an absolute steal, and she's ready to hit the ground running for AFLW next season. Also looking through the other players that starred, one of them, Maddie McMahon, who had to do the ruck working duties because we know Erin Hoare didn't play. As much as she was named, she didn't get up from that injury that she sustained in the semi-final. Although the tap-outs, I think, in the end were won by Eliza Hines, it was McMahon around the ground that really hurt the pies. No doubt. Really athletic type of player, as you say, made her way around the ground and made uh, her presence felt and... Again, you really need that. You need to you you can't be one dimensional anymore in footy. I think she recorded eleven hitouts, but also four tackles, which is pretty impressive for a ruck and uh, five marks. Even more importantly, to to try steady them up around the ground. So, yeah, outstanding perform, outstanding performer, and one who will have a you have to think will have a pretty big job uh, come grand final day. It's an interesting point, isn't it? Because she lost the hitout contest. She had eleven hitouts. Uh, Hines had 45 and Fowler had 19. But this is a bit of a strange thing in women's football, and I think it's going to give everyone some food for thought, isn't it, that you can dominate the rack contest, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the set of clearance. Definitely. I think midfield midfields have to adapt. I think Paris may be going in. I thought they, they would have thought that Hines would have a massive uh, influence. They would have a massive role advantage in that area, so you kind of curb her influence in other ways. and. Geelong did that's a great effect. I mean, you have Maddie Carrick in there as well. Can't forget her contributions. Um, Rochelle Cranston was uh, not best on field. She set a very high standard, though, but she also played her role. And, again, she's a very team-oriented performance. And Paul Hooder has to see very well drilled. We talked about Maddie Carrick, and we interviewed her post-game. Interesting play, of course. Uh, She had been at Melbourne University throughout her VFLW career prior um, as we always said, she was probably seen as the fifth midfielder there behind Ali Blackburn, Emma Carney, uh, Caitlin Ashmore and Alicia Eva. So she kind of had flown under the radar, but she had always been a very solid and consistent footballer. Seemed to really step up her game during this finals campaign and is certainly going to give some clubs, be it Geelong, be it uh, the Bulldogs who lost Emma Carney, so looking for a hole to fill, be it North Melbourne, um, sides that are looking for some midfield talent. You've got Kerrick, who was delisted by Carlton, waiting there to be picked up, who stepped up her game. Definitely. You'd have to think they're, they're keen to keep her. But, um, yeah, of course, I think they, they, took, they picked her up at the start of the year, and she's definitely repaid the, the faith. Um, you have to think they'd keep a hold of her, but, of course, it's hard to tell at this point. Um, Outstanding, such a wise head on very young shoulders. And um, whoever does get her, uh, if she stays with Geelong, they have a very talented player on their hands and a very keen midfielder who's had a very vast learning experience with some very star-studded players, as you mentioned before. So, yeah, really good to see her start to really hit her stride and uh, coming along in leaps and bounds. 
Indeed. Uh, also keeping an eye on the Cats list, as we mentioned, McMahon earlier, who might be a player that uh, could be picked up. Uh, the two players that uh, everyone's been excited about, Nina Morrison and Olivia Purcell. Morrison didn't play due to school commitments, but Olivia Purcell just kept on keeping on 14 tackles for her as well. So not only uh, is she racking up uh, the possessions in the midfield, she's becoming a tackling force. Yeah, you really need to have that going for you, going for you in women's footy. Um, just such a consistent effort over four quarters, which is something you really want in a young player. She's only played four games this season, I believe. She didn't play in the last time uh, they played against the Hawks, so that's someone um, you know the Hawks may need to have a look at and may need to put some time and effort into. You really. Just to try and get, she gives first use to her midfielder. She wins her own ball. She can receive the ball as well. Very well-rounded player and someone who will have will go very high in the draft. You have to think. Also, uh, the news coming out of the match was Chloe Malloy. Uh, she was tackled by Jamie Woollett in the first quarter. Um, it appeared to be an ankle injury at the time. We've had no further word from Collingwood that it appeared that Chloe had just rolled her ankle more than anything. She was in the moon boot on her right foot. Um, at the end of the game. And according to quotes from Penny Kula-Reed, it essentially was the case of they weren't going to risk Chloe. They were pulling her out of the game. And, and I guess in a way, as much as we talked about the VFLW being the premier competition, we believe it's better than AFLW. The reality is Collingwood's in it for the AFLW and uh, they thought not to risk their their prized player. And I understand that. I understand definitely that point of view. The AFLW is where you make your name, I guess. And we saw Chloe Malloy do that in a big way. You have to protect your players. And there's, I'm sure there's a fair amount of saving themselves from themselves in a way. And it's just such a shame. You know, you want to see the best players on the best on the biggest stage possible. And, yeah, it was just a shame that we didn't get to see it. Let's look ahead to Sunday at the stadium, currently known as Etihad Stadium, even though they said from now it should be known as Marvel Stadium. So there's been a delay in throwing up the sign, I guess. But we know it as Docklands. We know bounce downs, 12.30pm on Sunday. Hawthorne and Geelong. Katie, who would have thought that these two sides, and we're counting Hawthorne being known as Box Hill last year, would be in their second year fighting against each other for the VFLW flag? Uh, to be honest, I didn't. But maybe if you look a bit harder, I shouldn't have been so surprised. But they've set the benchmark for how you should invest in your team. I do believe Hawthorne play, pay their players and they're really looking after them in the way a team should, in my opinion. You invest you invest in your players and you invest in your people. And, hey, what a surprise, huh? You get, you get the results. And... Full credit to them and what they've what they've achieved. They're doing things the right way, and Geelong is set to hit the ground running in the AFLW next year. And it's a full credit to the people behind the scenes that have worked hard to put to put this together. I mean, the investment in facilities, the investment in grassroots program. Of course, this is also a product of the North Geelong Magpies, who are still going around in the local competition as well. So. Yeah, just a full credit to everyone who's been involved in this journey. This doesn't just come out of nowhere. This is well built, and um, both teams are very well placed going forward. As we go into this match, we look at the lineups, we look at the players that will be doing battle. There's plenty of veterans around that Hawthorne side Phoebe McWilliams, Lou Watton, throw in Meg Hutchins, Kim Ebb through her time at Seaford. 
Mel Kyes, a former captain of Knox, Steph Carroll, Diana Haynes, who'd won a flag back in 2012 with uh, Diamond Creek. They've got the experience. They've got some young up-and-comers. Wow, Hawthorne looked like a pretty solid side. Can Geelong knock them off and reverse the result from a month ago? Oh, it's going to be a very close-run thing. Um, it definitely is. Hawthorne in, order, in, Hawthorne, in order to win, they're going to need to break down Geelong's team's tense. They're going to need to use the ball very accurately, and it's going to come down to execution. And I think I backed them in to do that. You have to... Who, who am I to deny them at this point? I mean, there they are where they are for a reason. They had a big win against Collingwood to get themselves here. And, yeah, I... As good as Geelong has been and have timed their run to perfection, as I said before, you have to but you have to back in the side who has led the, who's basically led the, nearly led the competition all season, who've had been very consistent output, and yeah, have to have to go with the Hawks. If we look at some of the key one on one battles, it's interesting to note. Uh, that Sarah Perkins said that she's expecting Beck Goring to go to her. So the Geelong Cats captain going on the superstar forward. Uh, will it be Anna Teague maybe going, considering her basketball background and, uh, and leaping abilities going against a Phoebe McWilliams who will be strong overhead. That's another key battle to watch. As we look around the ground, uh, we mentioned Meg Hutchins' name earlier. Are they going to throw her in the midfield or will she go back to her traditional centre-half back role and maybe have to try and either A, try and get aerial dominance over Maddie Boyd, or B, because she's a tough nut, Meg Hutchins, will she have to try and take on Rocky Cranston and nullify her effects? To be honest, I like her across half-back. Um, Geelong has some pretty scary options in Mia Ray Clifford, Kate Darby, Danielle Orr and Maddie Boyd. You're going to need to cut off the supply. Otherwise, particularly aerially, and if, that ha- if Geelong get a run on like that, well, Hawks might find themselves in a bit of trouble. So you just to have that experience of Hutchins to organise the defence, try, you know, try have an aerial dominance as well. Yeah, I lean toward that. Should you get on a roll, maybe? Should Hawks start kicking some goals? Maybe push her into the midfield to keep even more pressure on the Cats. But, yeah, start off in the, start off at centre-half back, across the half-back flank, and go from there. As you said, they've got plenty of forward options. Hawthorne do have plenty of defensive options as well. We know the very mobile Kim Ebb will be back there. Tamara Luke as well, who's been uh, solid in defence. And they've got Pepper Randall, someone who they can throw in defence or throw up in a, on a wing position and play as such as a speedy tall. Yeah, definitely. It's so a very well-rounded defensive side and a hard side to score against. I think they've conceded 30 points less than the Cats overall for the whole season. So, very stingy. Well drilled, I think. I think that's due to having that, that mix of players, having that leadership as well down there. The Hawks are pretty well, Hawks are pretty well placed defensively to, to curb the Cats here. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Olivia Purcell, considering her, her tackling ability. If they're going to use her as a tagger, do they throw her onto the captain in Emma Mackey? Do they throw her onto uh, the GWS recruit that Hawthorne have in Beck Beeson? Definitely. I was kind of, potentially, I guess, but I was thinking maybe Jamie Woollett toward uh, Beeson to go to a Beeson. You may have, you may have a mix of uh, opponents throughout the day. But either play with some pretty tantalising matches to, talk, to think about. But you really need to curb the influences of Mackie and Beeson. I think Mackie averages about 20 touches a game and seven clearances. So 
someone who's a real driving force in there, so she should probably take priority because of the turnabout. So I suspect Purcell will take her uh, when the first dance rolls around. Now, we know that, as we mentioned earlier, that Maddie McMahon lost the tap duel against um, Eliza Hines, but they still dominated in the centre clearances, uh, the Cats. Um, and McMahon heard him around the ground. This is a different task for Maddie McMahon coming up against a wily old customer in Lou Watton, who's been there and done that many a time. Lou could win the ruck contest, and Lou can be effective around the ground. Definitely. She's a, she's a very athletic player who has no problem coming to the ground. I do believe she was a marathon runner. That's what she was doing in her uh, off time when she was when she had that initial retirement. So, yeah, someone you're going to need, someone who they might need to curb pretty early on. She's a very wily player. I think she's playing for, looking to win her first flag as a player. Um, but, yeah, just the, that's a fascinating matchup in its own right. It's a fascinating thought, isn't it? Because this is the first grand final in something like 13 years, which does not feature the Darabin Falcons, it's limited on the amount of players that are running out there that have actually won a premiership let alone at the top level. I can think, obviously, of Sarah Perkins, who won an AFLW flag with the Adelaide Crows. Diana Haynes, who won a VFL, a VWFL Premier Division flag with uh, Diamond Creek. I think Beck Beeson might have won a flag back in Sydney, if my memory serves me correct. Um, and you look across uh, the Geelong side of things, yes, there's been some lower division premierships from uh, Matty Boyd and Michelle Cranston at North Geelong. Bar that, there's very actually little senior women's grand final experience amongst the both teams. Yeah, no one was able to, no one should be able to stop the, the, the Darabin Juggernaut over those years, despite some teams that came close to doing so. Um, but yeah, this is where you rely on big game experiences. I mean, there's a general rule. I mean, you're going to rely on certain older players, particularly like Cranston, to kind of calm the team down, to kind of lead that team, take it by the scruff of the neck, so to speak. Um, this is yeah, this is exactly where they'll come in handy. Haynes Hutchins for the Hawks really, really will loom as influential figures over the game. You really need to just to keep things calm because sometimes you can get in the heat of you can get a bit lost in the big game, and they'll be they'll be the ones there to kind of calm it calm it all down. So when it all boils down, Katie, who's going to be holding the Premiership Cup aloft? on Sunday afternoon. Who will win and by how much? I hate predictions, but in this case, I uh, have to say the Hawks. Um, just the way they have a very recent victory over the Cats, um, have filled themselves a, a top two spot, got themselves a double chance and got themselves to the grand final at the first time of asking um, in, the other, in the first final. So, yeah, it's a professional unit, one with lots of experience and one with some flair as well, and it's a team that can that can score on you. Very well-rounded, and yeah, um, Geelong will put up a fight. There's not going to be much in it, but I'm going to say the Hawks by eight points. Katie, thanks very much again for your preview and review here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival and all your contributions throughout season 2018. Thank you so much. Uh, to everyone, enjoy the call. We've got a stacked lineup for you, and um, I'm sure we'll smash it, and uh, I'll be tuning in for sure. Well, that just about wraps things up here for yet another Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival.
I'm Peter Holden. Thank you very much for your company. We look forward to joining you again for the midweek show next Wednesday at 6pm. But don't forget our VFLW Grand Final coverage Sunday, 23rd of September, 11am on RSN Carnival. Until then, it's bye for now.